Thank you, guys. Wonderful, amazing, all the superlatives as usual. Thank you. Seriously. Good morning. So I got here, and Leah, not my wife, but Leah, the head Leah, she, uh, well, let me rescind that. They're both, let me walk that back. They're both heads in my life. Woo! It's going to be wild today, boy, I'm telling you. Um, She's like, are you going to dance? I was like, no. But I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes to life. Who wants to, you want to see some really bad, uh, let's see, let's, I got no, I don't know, I don't know. How's y'all's morning going? Yes? Yes? I got pooped on by two chickens this morning. Um, Leah and I, we bought chicks last week, and we're going to have eggs. I don't know the timeline, what? Six months. I was going to say two. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, six months, we're going to have eggs, and we get them, and they're these beautiful little chicks. They're so cute. We have a little brooder inside of our house. It's actually in her office. And every morning, well, multiple times a day, we go in there and pick them up, and we try to, we do pet them. They're docile. We give them some love. This morning, you know, I'm just looking at how quickly they grow. They grow so quickly. They got wings now. So I'm holding one, and they just let it loose on me twice. Boom, boom. <laughs> it's a good reminder that life goes by very fast, <laughs> and oftentimes it can be messy. Yeah. But I think it's good luck, right? Yeah. Okay, so I should have a great day. Uh, <laughs> is, there, is there a game? Is there a game today I can go to? Where? Okay. I don't know if I'll make it, but I'll keep that in mind. I'm sure I'll get pooped on again. <laughs> the what? The, the Longhorn Tavern. Oh. Learn something new every day. That's, that's fantastic. And then, <laughs> then a couple minutes later, the kids have been just going at it, right? Our oldest is just, you need space, you want space, and... The little one doesn't give it to him. He's messing his stuff up. And it's just constant yelling, screaming, fighting. It's, it's, he comes downstairs. He's like, I want space for my brother. I want him to go to heaven now. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Ford. I've made a habit of just quieting him and being, no. Just, anyway, I'm like, come here. Say whatever you want. Holding time. Actually, Leah's mom did this with Leah, I was told. Holding time where when they're having a fit or, you know, losing it, you'd grab them and hold them and say, this is a safe space. You can say whatever you want. It's like, get out of jail free, whatever. And he's like, I want my brother to go to heaven. And when I go to his funeral, I'm wearing white because I'm not going to bless him. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Then I realized Lent is next week. And I got all weird and constricted inside. I thought, shh, it. Now, now, I didn't say what you thought I said. I said, shh, shush, it. Shush the thought. You know, I thought about doing this joke, this bit, and when it first came to me, I was like, man, that's funny. I'm going I'm to keep that. I thought it was cute. <laughs> then the days went by, and I got all, started feeling guilty about it. I'm like, I'm going to be in church. Should I say that? And I was like, well, you know, you can take the boy out of Catholic church. <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm going to say the bit because it's cute. You know, I went with cute. I always tend to go with cute. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about today. Shushing, quieting the it. Whatever it may be. And I judge that we all have it. You know, it's in our lexicon. 
I'm over it. I'm sick of it. You're so full of it. What is this it? I think it's whatever binds us, whatever constricts us, whatever keeps us out of the flow, whatever keeps us from feelings of abundance, joy, of love, of God, keeps us from God. Whatever it keeps us from God, a blockage, an energetic blockage. Proverbs 4 through 7 says, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom, and with all your acquiring, get understanding. And that's the goal, but we tend to acquire things, whether it's energy, whether it's possessions, and it's hard for us to let go. We put a lot of shakti, a lot of energy, a lot of prana into these things, into these things that bind us. They may weigh us down. It can be material. It can be energetic. You know, we're taught in this culture, especially in this society, first to get things. I need to acquire. I need to receive. It's very rare. At least it was for me. I wasn't taught this in school or really by anyone, how to release, how to let go. Just a few... Just a few weeks ago, I was at Leah's grandma's 97th birthday in Yoakum, Texas. And whatever she's got, I want it. She looks fantastic. I hope I look that good when I'm 65. And we're there, and uh, her cousin, I think it's her cousin, second cousin, third cousin, I, I can't keep track. She doesn't even know. I can't, I can't keep track. But I've always enjoyed this young man. He's so composed, he's so polite, he's thoughtful. And it had been a minute since I've seen him, and he had grown like a weed, like the chicken, just sprouted up. It's crazy. He's now a teenager, a young man. I get to talking to him, and he's into classic rock, heavy metal now. He loves Led Zeppelin, ZZ Top, Ozzy Osbourne. And I'm like, man, this guy, this little boy is a child of my own heart. I'm like, this is awesome. But he tells me he doesn't have a guitar. And he's got, I think, two or three brothers or sisters, and I don't know if they can't get it for him or what the deal is, but I started thinking. I was like, Finn, you've got a, quite a collection of guitars, right? you got this one you don't play that much. You should, you should give it to this boy. So I go and ask his father. I said, hey, Robbie tells me he's into guitars now. Would it be okay with you if I sent him one of mine? He's like, yeah, that would be great. Thank you so much. A little confessional here. Um, <laughs> I go home, and I pull that guitar out, and I start looking at it. I'm like, man, this is a, <laughs> this is a, a nice-looking guitar. <laughs> so I plug it in, I play it, and, you know, I'm getting particular in my old age. I don't, it doesn't play the way I really want it to, but it's a good guitar. So I pull, unplug it. Anyway, I still haven't sent it to him. <laughs> So I'm asking you to hold me accountable. I need to get this guitar to this, to this boy. Like, and that's, that's it. You know, I'm holding on to it. I'm, I'm clinging to this thing that I know if I just release could have a much more impactful existence with somebody else. Right? And it's different for all of us, the things we cling to, the things we're afraid of, the things we desire. And I'm here to say they're one and the same. And I know that's very Buddhist of me to say, but, you know, whatever gets your energy all freaked out, whatever gets you, uh, you know, I want it so bad or I don't want it. And it's based on 
our previous experiences, right? Things that happened to us, our samskaras, these traumas, usually traumas, usually it has a negative connotation because someone said something, someone did something, and we keep this, we store this static energy inside of us that blocks the flow of life, the flow of goodness. You know, for me, a, a huge it, I know I'm just sharing a lot today, but I've needed knee surgery for years on my right knee. Um, I had an injury, football injury back in high school. I had total reconstructive surgery back then, but in my 20s and 30s, it started acting up. I was like, well, that's just the way it is. I was afraid to look under the hood. I was afraid to look at it. Finally, over a year ago, my sensei convinced me to go get an MRI. So I went, had looked at it, and <laughs> it's like what I saw. There's a litany of things wrong with it. But the one thing that would be easy fix is there's loose cartilage floating around. And it's like a stick getting stuck in a bicycle spoke. It just floats around, and like it'll get caught. So it impedes a lot of my movement, a lot of my physical activity. I'm like, okay. So finally, finally, I'm going to schedule surgery. And I get weird about it. I get all upset because, God, how long has it been? 12 years ago. 12 years ago, my mother went in for a routine procedure, supposedly. She had had one previously. She had a history of lower intestinal blockage, and they'd go in there and laser it out. It wasn't outpatient, but I think it was, you know, one to two days. Not a, not a huge procedure. So she went in again, and my father just judged that it wasn't a big enough deal to let me know. Day two, things start going sideways. I'm in California, she's in Texas, and I fly home quickly. And I get there just in time to see her before they pull the plug. Um, she got septic, and they didn't catch it in time. And it was really hard for me to see her in that state. She wasn't there mentally, I judge possibly emotionally. Physically, she was there. And... Um, that started creeping into me. You know, she was, she, was, she was young. She was 69, but she had had a stroke previous years past, so she was a little more fragile than maybe that was healthy. Anyway, that was her story. That was her journey. And I've taken that it, I've taken it on. Because I'm afraid. I am afraid to go in to medical offices. I freak out. My blood pressure rises. I just get a mess because I'm holding on to this story that's not mine. And I need to let it go because all rational wisdom points, hey, Finn, go get the surgery. You're a young, healthy man. Youngish, healthy man. Go get, <laughs> go get the surgery. Your life will be better for it. But it's just these things we hold on to. It's disevolutionary. It's these old wounds that keep us from being whole, whether it's an unhealthy competitive streak, an addiction, not doing what's right for you medically, because you're scared. You know, it's pride, it's ego. What are the seven deadly sins? What are they? Pride, gluttony, it's been a while, sloth. Well, I've got it, it's a cheat sheet. I'm just trying to see if I remember. <laughs> Not bad. Envy, anger, lust, gluttony, pride, sloth, and avarice. Avarice. I think it is. Um, Jealousy, yeah. It's like, it's like you, it's when you are upset of someone's position. You want things because, for unhealthy reasons. You want position, you want stature. Probably unhealthy, that's what I think it is. Look it up at home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and now, 
we here, we know, we believe there are no sins. There's no sins. There's nothing we can do on this plane that's going to condemn us to a life of eternal damnation, hell, fire and brimstone. We know that, right? But this list, it's not a bad guidepost. It's not a bad litmus test of how you're living your life. You know, it can, if you abide by these, if you limit these, I guess, negative energies, these negative actions, you can have heaven here on earth. And looking at that, looking at that list, I mean, if I'm being honest, I probably fall prey to all of those, at least a little bit, every single day. And that's okay. We're human. This is not, there is no perfection. We are perfectly imperfect. But it's good to look at it. And that's how, you know, hey, how do we get rid of it? How do we let go of it? How do we let go of these negative things that bog us down? I don't know if it's possible. I know that it can be a life's work to constantly shine a light and illuminate it and look at it and grow and limit it. You know, hey, maybe you slept till noon one day. And if you, any of you guys are night shift workers, this does not apply to you. So please forgive me. But maybe you sleep till noon one day. Okay, maybe you're tired. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're recovering from a surgery. Maybe you got two little kids and they're at grandma's house. Uh, hey. <laughs> That's okay, but if you start sleeping until noon every single day, every month, that might be something you want to look at. You might want to look at if you're too competitive, if it sucks the joy out of the games you're playing or whatever you're doing. I know for me, the idea of being perfect or being presented as perfect is one of them pridefulness, right? I, uh, I want to do a really good job, and I want you to think I do a good job, and I want you to tell me. I have to know. I need that. I need your approval. You know, I've been up here a handful of times. I've been blessed to get up here and honored to be before all of you. This is Reverend Jill's church, and she entrusted me to come up here, and it's an honor. But I've been doing it a handful of times. I start to feel pretty good about it. I'm like, you know what? I'm not formally trained. I could use a little bit more substance, you know, a little bit more ammunition, if you will, wisdom to pull out of. So I was like, I, I reached out to Jill. I said, hey, do you have any books you'd recommend for me to read to help me get more into the Unitarian flow, to like have knowledge I can pull from? She said, oh, yeah, sure, I'll get you something. A couple weeks go by. I think it was after a board meeting. Maybe it was after church, and she gave me this book. I was like, oh, that's so sweet. And I look at it. <laughs> the title is called Be Heard Now, A Guide to Unleashing Your Inner Speaker. And my it, my stuff, like within a millisecond is like, oh, my God, she thinks I'm horrible. She thinks, <laughs> she thinks I'm a bad speaker. And I, I'm and like, oh, oh, God, Finn, why are you even doing this? God, you know, it just talks and talks, doesn't it? I go home, I open this book, I start reading it, and it is, uh, whew, it's a beautiful book. And it's, <laughs> it's so much more than, you know, it's not a technical book of how to be a better speaker. It literally is a book that allows you to get in touch with yourself and open yourself up, not just on this forum, but in life. Because what's really the difference? How you are when you're alone is how you really are. How you act Interpersonally, it's who you really are, you know? 
How to Be More Transparent, How to Open Your Heart Up So You Can Have More Space. It's a wonderful book full of wisdom and knowledge. And of course, I wouldn't expect anything less from Jill, but I do. <laughs> it's just like just talking and talking and talking. The it, the negative, neg- negativity. And then, you know, the hubris kicks in, right? You know, it's okay, she gives me this book. I read it. I'm doing a lot of that. I'm doing it well. So then I get cocky. You know, I started my own spiritual Instagram page, The Fin Frequency. Hint, hint. Check it out. Um, <laughs> you know, I've been up here seven, eight times. I get to come up here for 30 minutes, uninterrupted. You guys listen. I don't even get that good of a deal at home. <laughs> so I take it when I'm here. I take it. And, you know, you come to me. I've got a real wise thing to say. And you'll listen. So I get cocky, right? I get this ego. <laughs> My path to being a spiritual guru. <laughs> but I asked for that book from Joe, right? I ask her. And be prepared that you shall receive what you ask. It's like the white stone ceremony we just did last month. Reverend Joe was talking about, okay, whatever you write on there, be prepared for the universe just to give it to you. I wrote a space and grace on mine. I thought it was a clever quip. I love the clever quips, right? It's one thing to sound spiritual, but it's another thing to actually walk the walk. You know, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? Can you really hold the space? You know, I get to wrap it up in a neat little package here. Get to go home. 30 minutes, I'm out. A few days after the White Stone ceremony, one of my really good friends suffered an extreme familial crisis. And I'm not going to get into the details what transpired for him, but he suffered a very jarring, extreme, and fast loss, a huge trauma. And he comes to me, and he's shell-shocked. He's grieving. He's in pain. He's suffering. He's at the lowest depths that I've ever seen him. And of course, I want to be there for him. I was there for him. He came over to our house. We cooked him dinner multiple nights. He stayed the night. I prayed with him, meditated with him, put my hands on his heart. And it's a heck of a thing to do this with another grown man. It was humbling. But then days go by, some weeks go by, and to my astonishment, <laughs> to my chagrin, my little nuggets of wisdom I'm dropping on him, my little 30-minute interstitial sessions with him, it's not helping. He's getting worse. And I find myself getting irritated. But he's not listening to me. He's not, this is not settling in with him. It's not sitting with him, you know? And it was a it was a huge mirror for me to look at. Because like I said earlier, it's one thing to talk it, but can you actually live it, brothers and sisters? Can we live it for our brothers and sisters that are hurting? Can we have more space? And can we have grace for when we don't have space? And I, what I realized being with him is that it was a question of my faith, my ability, my belief in God, and the God in me. Because I was scared. Because not that long ago, maybe two, two years, 
I still struggle with it. But about two, three years ago, as I mentioned before, I was, I was in the depths, the lowest of lows, panic, anxiety. I couldn't function right. I couldn't be present with my kids. I couldn't be present with my wife. I felt like my world was crumbling. And slowly, slowly, through coming here, through expanding my faith, through practices, I was able to crawl out of those depths. And seeing my friend like this, I started getting scared. I didn't want him to be around me. I didn't want his energy to infiltrate my life, the goodness of my life that's happening right now. I was scared. It's a crisis of faith right in front of me. And it reminded me of this beautiful prayer from this great book. Pray for a thousand years. I think I read it a few talks back, but it's so poignant to what's going on with me right now. And honestly, we could read this every single day. Because there's no timeline for healing. You can't rush it. And it's different than we think it is. Spiritual awakening is frequently described as a journey to the top of a mountain. We leave our attachments and our worldliness behind and slowly make our way to the top. At the peak, we have transcended all pain. The only problem with this metaphor is that we leave all the others behind. Our drunken brother, our schizophrenic sister, our tormented animals and friends. Their suffering continues unrelieved by our personal escape. In the process of discovering our true nature, the journey goes down, not up. It's as if the mountains pointed toward the center of the earth instead of reaching into the sky. Instead of transcending the suffering of all creatures, we move toward the turbulence and doubt. We jump into it. We slide into it. We tiptoe into it. We move forward and toward it however we can. We explore the reality and unpredictability of insecurity and pain. And we try not to push it away. If it takes years, if it takes lifetimes, we will let it be as it is. At our own pace, without speed or aggression, we move down, down, and down. With us move millions of others, our companions in awakening from fear. At the bottom, we discover water, the healing water of compassion. Right down there in the thick of things, we discover the love that will never die. Bhikshuni Pema Chodron, she's a Buddhist teacher and abbess. And beloved, these words, they might be hard to hear, right? It's scary to go down when we're here. And we can't find this love. We can't find this love if we're not present. And every night before I go to bed and every day when I wake up, I'll pray in my own way to God. God, help me discover, help me access this divine presence of being present. Quickly that goes away because I'll find myself right on this thing all the time. Take my kid up from school Oh, hang on a second. I come home. I'll be right with you. I'm going to answer some emails. I got a text. Oh, did I post this on Instagram? And I'll set it down. And he'll go and pick it up. 
and I'll get mad at them. I'll say, how dare you touch my stuff, Ford? That's not yours. Get off my phone. And I realize, and it saddens me to my core, that he's mimicking me because he's modeling me, because he looks up to me. And lately it's been do as I say, not as I do, and I'm becoming aware of it. And that's no way to live. We need to be the embodiment of what we preach. We need to access that. We need to walk like Jesus did as much as we can. That old model, like do as I say, not as I do, it is, it's not, the, it's not it. It's not it. We're on the precipice of interesting times here. In the past 10 years, the past year, I don't know the data, but I know that we have had more technological advances, more information coming at us at a rapidity that exceeds, far exceeds the past 100 years. And we're not able to process it. We're not able to keep up with it. Because essentially, we are just an organic computer. We process data. And we get data overload. What happens to a computer? It malfunctions. It crashes. And technology can be like fire. It can warm you or it can burn you. And I feel like we're getting burned. I feel like we're getting burned because all these studies are coming out. I'm friends with chiropractors and doctors. There's this, you guys probably have heard about this. Kids, the next generation of kids that are on their phones and iPads all day, they're developing bone spurs in the back of their neck that poke out like horns. They present as horns. And that's just the beginning. We give away all this love, all this godliness, all this presence in lieu of likes and external validation. And I know I'm preaching a little bit, so I'm going to preach a little more and continue it. <laughs> Here's some Bible to really drive this home. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. Now, the days aren't evil. The days are this blessed, amazing things we get to experience if we're fully there. But what is a little bit dicey is this mentality that I'm just going to kick the can down the road. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll be better tomorrow. I'll try it tomorrow. I'll be more present tomorrow. How many times do we do that? And it's befuddling to me, but my wife and I, a little more, I relate on such a personal level because our oldest, you know, we've been told, we've been telling ourselves, oh, it's just a phase. He's just two. He's a three-nager. He's four. He'll be better five. Five. Six. Seven. It's become very apparent to us right now that he's having a lot of trouble in school. Whole aspects of it. Socially academically. And it finally just dawned on us, you know, it's not okay just to keep, oh, it'll be fine. We're taking action now. We're looking at what's going on, fully present and diving in. And it's not easy. We're going to have to change a lot of things in our lifestyle to hopefully help him. But if I can't help my child, if I can't help my sick loved one, if I can't help my sick friend, then what is the point of me being whole? Huh? We can't give. What does it matter if we receive? 
And I think a lot of it, I mean, I judge that a lot of it has to do with fear. We don't want to be wrong. We're afraid to be wrong. And we're dying for this connection, but we're afraid to look at one another in the eye and have honest exchange because we don't want them to tell them something we don't want to hear. Tell us something we don't want to hear. I had this interesting conversation with my cousin. I guess it was a little while ago, a couple, two, three weeks, four weeks ago. He's a, he's a young man. He's about ready to graduate college, but he got married this summer, and we just happened to be in Ohio when he got married. He went to his wedding, so he reached out to me just recently and asked for my address so he could send a thank you note. And uh, I think he sees Leah and I on social media or whatever, and I think he, I don't know, he's intrigued by what we're doing. So he, after that, he reached out. He's like, hey, man, what's, what's up with that church you're at? I was like, oh, unity, okay. And so I told him. I was like, you know, we believe in this. We believe Jesus is the example, not the exception. Kind of went into a little dissertation about what we believe. I see the bubbles come up. And I've got this weird energy about it, because like, I know he's very religious. And um, he started texting me. He's like, well, we believe this. And I just took it as like, oh, oh yeah. I like, I got, my, I got, I literally started shaking. And as I'm doing, I can't stop it. I get angry. I get so mad. Like, why does he question me? Because how does he, doesn't he know that his way is the wrong way? <laughs> and I sat there with it, and I couldn't control that, but I almost like, responded to this vitriolic dribble, and I stopped myself a little bit, and I was like, what is this about? What is it about? And I realized and I'm sure so many of us do this. It's that stuff that we carry with us. It's that programming, that trauma loop that's happened to us. When I was a young man, probably not much older than him, if not the same age, I had this conversation with my father. I remember we were in the car, in his Lincoln Town car, and we were driving, and I just told him, I was like, hey, I don't believe in confession. I don't believe I need to go to confession to be absolved of my sins. Like, how can some man... Just because he studied theology, does he have like faster connection, a bigger conduit to God than I do? I just don't believe it. And there's other factors at play there. I won't get into. But he looked at me square in the eye, dead set, while I failed as a father. And it hurt. It stung. Because it just mitigated and just diminished any of my strength, made me question everything, made me think that my views and my beliefs weren't valid. And I realize now that it wasn't me, it was him. It was his it. He was a good dad. He wanted what was right and best for me in his mind, and he did it out of fear. So I sat there, and I'm like, oh my God, this is why I'm freaking out internally, because I feel like this young man's questioning me. And then they're in the back of my mind, I'm like, what if he's right? What if I'm wrong? What if I'm going to go burn in hell? <laughs> Seriously, there's a little bit of that left. It's hard to wipe that fully away. <sighs> but I took, a, <laughs> I took a breath, and I didn't send what I wanted to send. <laughs> and I told him, I was like, hey, sorry I've been a little bit you know, aggro <laughs> with these responses is just, I realized it's because of this, because of this story. He wrote me back, and he said, oh, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Your parents shouldn't do that to their kids, because then, then it limits and diminishes their desire to want to get to know God. <laughs> and 
I realized we're saying the exact same thing, me and him, him and I. We're just saying it in a little bit of a different way. And being argumentative about it, putting your shields up, blocking. I mean, wars have been started for that. Bloodshed has been done because of that. Let's create space and grace for ourselves. And I went back and I showed Leah, I showed my wife the text. I was like, see, he was trying to goad me, right? He was trying to get at me. <laughs> and she doesn't have any of that guilt. or You know, her stories are different. Her it, her things that drive her are different than mine. Her scars are different. And she looked at that text and she said, no. He was just, Michael, he was just, <laughs> he was just asking you questions because he was curious. And how often do we do that? We take a bent on what's really happening to us and we distort it, distort the reality. Oh, it was a life-changing awakening experience for me. It really was, because I was raised with the ideology, if you believe in Jesus, you know, you'll be absolved of your sins. You do something that's unsavory, you do something that's wrong. I'm sorry, <laughs> get out of jail free card. And it's really not. And I did that for the longest time. I'd keep doing the same stuff over and over again, didn't really believe it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. Guys, it doesn't work that way. If you leave this planet as a jealous, bitter, just tense person, you don't, it's, it's your dharma, it's your karma. You don't get absolved of this. You'll probably come back as an IRS collections agent. <laughs> so what I'd like to encourage us to do, that, <laughs> that while, I'm glad you liked that, uh, <laughs> While it is obviously important and good to believe in Jesus, I think it just might be as important, if not more, to believe as he did. I had COVID last month, and uh, when I was kind of coming out of a weird fever dream, laying in bed for 36 hours, I just, I just had this come to me. This little poem I wrote I wanted to share. I think it's a little apropos for today. Help me be the light so I can see. Help me be peace so I shall not fear. Help me be whole so I can heal. Help me hold on. Sorry, help me let go so I can hold on. Help me learn so I can teach. And help me love so I may be loved. That same friend who was really struggling, he still is, but I judge he's coming out of it. Each day is a new day. And he sent me this text, and it was beautiful. He said, the light at the end of the tunnel is not the illusion. The tunnel is. Beloved, separateness, separation. It's just an illusion. Let it go. <laughs> if we'd like to take these thoughts and these prayers into meditation, these ideas, this space, let's, let's do that. <sighs> so if you will, be so kind to get comfortable Get relaxed in your seat. 
Just take a few slow breaths with me. Breath is God. Breath is healing. Breath is life. Breath is love. Breath is energy. And if you can take inventory or take stock of where you're at, if there's any tension, if there's any limitation, if there's any constriction, breathe into it. See if you can communicate with it. See if you can understand what message it has for you. What it's trying to teach you. There are no coincidences, beloved. Everything is there for a reason. It's not there to cause strife, to cause pain, cause confusion. It's there with a message. And if we can go underneath it, breathe some light, breathe some love, breathe some space into it, that message can be revealed. If we can do this every day and be present and be aware, it will be like the small drops of water on a hardened stone. It may not seem like much at first, but over time with the consistency and the attention, that hardness, that bitterness, that fear can crack wide open and can reveal the unbounded energy of love and divinity that resides in each and every single one of us. Do not be daunted by the time. Do not rush. Just be. I invite you to be wherever you are. Aware. Involved. Open. I invite you to lay down the yoke, undam the stream, and let your goodness flow. We thank you so much for this experience. In the highest name of divinity and God, amen. And so it is.